I want to share with you again that we're all so tired of Zoom. And maybe not. For some people, it gives you an opportunity to, like Dawn, I wouldn't ordinarily get to sit with you being in Scotland and me being in New York. But one way for us to be together and not have it just be another exhausting Zoom call is if right now, starting now, and I'll remind you throughout, bring your attention home to your body, your sensation, your heart, your mind without analyzing, but even though there's a screen, notice how it can feel to bring your attention to your body right now. So that's the lion's share of the attention is on the body. And see that you can do this even with your eyes open. And so just as you are right now, bring the attention home to yourself, to your experience. And we see people coming in and instead of looking at this as another meeting, um, notice how it feels to see that these are people who are seeking what you seek. And we might not put it in the same words, but there's an impulse in us to find something that, that we're missing. So let's begin that way. And see that you can do this in any circumstance, including right now, this time of screens. Your intention can be to allow your attention to come home to the experience of being in the body. And it can be very helpful if you're new to this, or even if you're not new, to take a simple focus like your feet. Your feet are your friends for so many reasons, but they, they're available to you right now, right now. So that, yes, we're meeting virtually, and later in the week, some of us will have an opportunity to meet in person. But while we're on the screen, our intention is still not to just pour our energy out to the pictures or the voice, but to come to see what it's like to have a two-way intention 
and attention to be able to be coming home to the body. It won't be consistent. It will swing out, but you can gently come back. And just take a moment to see how that feels. To be present in the body and in the heart and in the mind. Because we're here for a different purpose, not just information. As important as that is, we're here to participate in something together, to practice. Practice what? To practice this movement of return. Come home. So, I also want to tell you a little story before we sit. It's a fragment of the great myth of the Buddha's awakening. I want you to consider that according to the story, the morning he woke up to set out, they called it going forth. He woke up and according to the legends, he had a pleasure palace. He didn't just have one, he had several because you know, you get sick of one palace depending on the season and you want to shift to another. And he had a harem of 60,000 in addition to his wife and his secondary wife. Because we're welcome, people are dropping in. I'm telling the story of the Buddhas waking up on the morning he set out. And he woke up, and there had been a vast party. For those of you not so familiar with the tradition, the reason the Prince Siddhartha had so much was because his father, the king, had heard a prophecy that his baby would either be a great king or leader, or he would be a great spiritual leader and the father had no use for this spiritual nonsense he wanted him to be a huge success in worldly terms the biggest success the most powerful man so he did everything he could to keep his son home and happy. And this included a vast harem. It included, will you consider, there was nothing Siddhartha could not have in the way of food, in the way of drink, in the way of sexual variety, in the way of substances. Whatever he wanted was his. 
and he woke up one morning and there had been a great party, a huge party in his harem. And he looked around and he felt nothing but disgust. He felt, well, maybe some of you know that morning after feeling. That feeling that, you know, you've done all this stuff. You've done all the drugs. You've done everything. Looking for that state of happiness or freedom or insight or something you can't name. And nothing except still more yearning. So he looked at this room and there are naked bodies sprawled all over the place. This is true. It's all in the sutras. You have to dig a little bit to find it. And according to some of the sutras, they, there were people that goddesses and gods that were rooting for the Buddha to leave that made people look even more squalid. And it's that feeling of things that look enticing and cool the night before in the light of day, not cool. So, not to dwell on that, the Buddha was full of this feeling. I can't take this anymore. Have you ever felt that at any point in your life? I can feel some of you making micro nods, some full on nods, that the Buddha's embarking on his great quest, his great journey for awakening began with this feeling, I can't stand this anymore. That feeling, that feeling that we have before we leave. I can't take it. Just let that settle. It didn't begin with this happy feeling like, well, here comes a well-deserved vacation and I'm really looking forward to it and then I will come back to my happy life. No, it was a feeling that I simply can't stand it. I cannot take it. I don't know what I will find, but I have to go. That's how it begins. And then he sets out, and we've already talked about his poor horse, so we will just get to the point where he takes to the forest. He cuts off his hair. He gives up all his jewelry and his royal accoutrements, and he goes into the forest. And he still doesn't know what he will find, but he has an attitude of, please help me, help me. And 
there's lab has had wonderful accounts, not just in the polycanon, but even more ancient stories that are just now beginning to be translated of how the forest itself, these beautiful trees, and tree spirits, and animals, and the earth itself said, yes, we'll help you. He felt accompanied and supported. But I just want to go back to that sensation of sitting here. You're sitting and sensing how it is to be in this beautiful body, this life that you've been given, and this breath that you've been given. In that sense, sometimes of accompaniment by nature, by life. And I was thinking that in this practice, there in the ancient tradition, there was such an aspect of devotion, of bhakti, bhakti yoga. And it was never something that I wanted to. Um, I felt very deeply a yearning to find a practice that included my ordinary life, my daily life, and not just um, mantras from another tradition, mantras in Tibetan or mantras in another um, language, um, which felt like, um, I don't know, being a tourist in a way. I wanted to find it. This was my feeling. And I know that some of you have a Tibetan practice and a bhakti practice. And I just want to share a micro story that about 35 years ago, um, I practically gasped to own how long ago. I spent a stretch of time here in Spring Valley, which is in New York, with <clears throat> a llama, a woman llama named Sultra Malioni, who some of you may know or know of her, and I was questing, I'm still questing, and in the course of this four or five day retreat, and now she has a big, beautiful place in Colorado called Tara Mandala, but this was before, and we spent days, I, I have to back up and say I went there thinking, thinking that I was going to be a snarky New York journalist and write some witty, snarky little piece about this scene. That's who I thought I was. So we began to do these mantras, mantras to a very special secret dakini called the lion-faced dakini. 
and we do the mantras, and we do the mantras, and we do the mantras, sitting in a circle in a floor, on and on. And then finally, we broke for the night. And she just said very vaguely, we'll see if anyone sees anything. So here was my state. You might be in that state right now. Why the hell did I come? What is going on? This is not what I want. This is not my thing. So I go to sleep in my sleeping bag in this room. And I'm woken up in the middle of the night. And there was a deity dancing at the foot of my sleeping bag. A deity, bright blue, and with red, with like sparks coming out of it all, and dancing, dancing. And finally, and I was like, I must be dreaming. I have to be dreaming. Slap, 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 pinch, pinch, pinch. Nope, I wasn't. And Finally, I don't know how it resolved, but finally, I got a little bit of sleep, and we collect in the morning, and Soldier Malioni said, did anybody see anything? And I'm like, I saw it. And everyone was like, oh, of course, you know, it's the snarky journalist. <laughs> it was like the prize in the Cracker Jack box to see the deity this special effect. So, um, and it was certainly not asked for by me. So why am I telling this story? Is this just to distract you from Sam? That I came to realize that it's taken me about 35 years that, that this practice is one of returning to sensation but it's also one about opening up to the, they would say, divinity of life. It's magical aliveness that we can have an attitude of coming home, of having sensation, and also an attitude of please help me, please be with me which I do in the morning, I sit and I do Qigong or something and I walk and it's so hot, I walk early in the morning. It's not as hot as Arizona, but still good and hot. And often I just look up at the tree or out at the water and I have an attitude of help me, help me. And I'm not thinking of anything in particular, just benevolent forces be with me. And I realize this, and this is the punchline of my story, that when we do this, and I know some of you have bhakti practice to Tara or other deities, or you know about it, but when we just open ourselves grounded in sensation, open ourselves to life, we begin to discover that life is alive and responsive and that we're part of it. 
and that we're lovable, lovable, and acceptable, and worthy of help. And I encourage you to adopt this practice, this bhakti yoga. You don't need to use a Hindu term. This attitude of willingness to receive help, to know that creation is full of forces that are meant to help and support us. And I was listening, a friend of mine told me about this embodied psychotherapy conference and I was listening to the science and I was struck by this. And then I promise we will say that the science, if you experience trauma or including everyday trauma, I would add, of life, we become used to shutting down. We've become used to fight or flight sometimes in a very profound way, and sometimes what we can feel in the way we live right now, when a lot of our exits, our flights are literally canceled. <laughs> I mean, I can't speak for Scotland, but if you are president of this country, nobody wants us. <laughs> You're not going anywhere, except domestically. And it's like we are, in a sense, thrown back on ourselves. And we have an opportunity to discover what all this science is leading towards, which is what would it be like to have ease, to be in a state of openness and repose instead of shut down or in flight or defensive, what would that be like? And this is why we practice. And I realized when I'm outside, opening to the tree spirit and my beautiful trees, and um, it seems different on different way, days, you know, Lord have mercy, whatever your practice is. I am creating that space. I am inviting ease, a relationship that's nurturing and sustaining. I am creating that space like the Buddha did when he faced his deepest fear. And he said, Mara, who is the devil? You don't know the size of my army and his army was truth and justice and compassion. So I'm just suggesting that this play with this attitude of please help me, benevolent forces, angels, Totoro, the great nature spirit, to be playful and gentle and willing to experience yourself as worthy of love and support. So let's sit and always the first step to take your seat.
take your seat and bring this loving attention to this body, to this state, whatever state you find yourself in today, exhausted, happy, whatever it is. And let yourself rest in an attention that doesn't judge. And just see how that attention softens you. Just don't think about the body. Just notice it enough to notice body. Body. And feelings. Sensation. And let everything be exactly the way you find it. And let that be completely acceptable. and worthy of kindness. And see that when your thoughts start to drift and you drift up into the head, just gently come back, back to the moment, back to the body. Back to this moment.
and see that when you come home, you also open. The heart and the body begins to open to life, to what's present. Notice that the stillness is alive.
even feel that when you come home, you're welcomed by a loving attention. Is that it feels as if we're received and also given something nurtured by the stillness and this attention.
notice that this life around you is not dead, but alive, animate. that it offers itself to you in breath, impressions, sensations. And your body responds.
feel how coming home opens you to the life around you and inside you.
course, one of my favorite poets and poems um, is my Rilke. Um, and the phrase that I love is quiet friend who has come so far. Feel how your breathing makes more space around you. That just your own breathing can begin to create a new atmosphere, a new world around you. And let this darkness be a bell tower and you the bell. That when we find ourselves in darkness, like the Buddha did, like we all have and will again. What if we came home to sensation first and allowed ourselves to be willing to receive? new impressions, new breath, not just from outside, but inside. So I'll leave it there. Um, and if you have a question or an observation or anything you'd like to share, I'm happy to hear it. So much um, high-level uh, fear stimulation and anxiety um, in day-to-day -day life I'm experiencing, and I can sit on my cushion and be okay. And then, but I can't seem to take some of the things I learned there and from Sangha and from you um, out into life these days. Yeah, it's, first of all, you're articulating something we're all living with right now, living through. You know those, I just went through it because my husband is ill, but, and he had to have a COVID test, and it took like a week to get it back, and he does not have COVID. He's just a little sick. And um, it's, I know that space, and many of us here know that, or we've had a COVID. But the other illness that we all suffer from is fear. And you tasted what it's like to feel mortal fear. It, it has primal. Yeah primal power and it has stories to it it can pull it in every sense like narratives and also pull us down into our very youngest um state even in an evolutionary sense yeah. fear has tremendous power so this how do we work with fear when we're in the grip of it at its worst, at its most primal, its most powerful. And what we do 
first of all, is see it and feel it as a sensation in the body. And notice these stories that are rising. So we're establishing this accompanying attention. It's not just for the good times, but for these times too. When you feel completely contracted, completely obsessing, and so you establish that a little bit, and then you can begin to act like in deity yoga. If when you have your deity, you pretend to be the deity, too. Whether it's um, lion faced bikini or Jesus or your favorite benevolent TV um, friend, someone kind. Someone benevolent is looking at Judy, saying, you're unlikely to have it, but, you know, in a commonsensical way. But even if you do, you will recover. And not deluding you, but just applying this gentle, loving kindness. So you're, you're not denying fear, you're not repressing it, but you're inviting, like when the Buddha called his armies against Mara, his armies were truth, first of all, so you call in your armies, you're in the grip of terror, you think you're going to die, or your son is, what is the truth? then you use. The Dalai Lama talks about this all the time. Apply reason. You know, just a little basic reason. What are the odds? And, um, and then from there, just, it's very helpful. I'm glad you brought this up because not just opening to ask for help, but to try on being the help. What would it feel like if you were the helper you seek? You see what I mean? And they do that in Tibetan Buddhism. It sounds funny to put it this way, but you try on being the deity and say your deity is Mr. Rogers or, I don't know, some wonderful, loving, accepting character from Queer Eye. That's one of my favorites, Jonathan. And he would tell me to relax. And that we try on um, loving kindness. So that's what I would, I could say more, but for now, is that helpful? Yeah, it's, it's very helpful, Tracy. It's well, just hard to remember. Yeah, well, the also lower, like the earth. Mm-hmm. Ask the earth to help you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's lower only in the sense that it's under your feet. And, you know, help me, help me, support me. And then when you think of it, be the earth. Like, I've been through a lot, the earth says. I've been through tougher things than this. The earth says, we will get through this. And, you know, not to, we can continue with this, but this can be a very creative practice. Thank you. 
and we'll be brief in our closing because I got a little carried away. So um, uh, we'll just sit for just a moment and um, then I'll have one quick announcement, but we just sit and just take in our practice, the goodness of it, our own intentions. And we dedicate it, we don't keep it just for ourselves, but we shine it out to be part of that great light and that helping force. And we dedicate ourselves to the happiness, the safety, the well-being of all beings everywhere. So that if anyone right now is crying out for help, let the radiance of this practice right now go to them as well as to us. May all beings be safe and happy and free.